I think we need kneelers. I was at a uh, family funeral this last week and uh, a week ago, and uh, they have kneelers, and I'll tell you what, it's appropriate, especially with what we'll be talking about today. Let me say good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you, sir. I was pondering several things as uh, Dr. Ashley was up here making announcements. One is that my wife has been um, questionably dubbed the most holy reverend mother around here. And, uh, and she really is. No. And, uh, and I thought, now, what, what about Mrs., uh, Dr. Ashley's wife, uh, the lovely Mrs. Kelly Ashley? You can only go as far as Mother Superior, so I'm sorry. The first slot's been taken, but anyway. That's just a little humor. Don't anybody take it all that seriously. I can imagine someone saying, well, we've had it with this church. That guy's in fathead. I got a letter from our brother, Corey, one of our elders who has moved south. I don't know why, but people like to move south. And uh, Corey and uh, Jess and the kids are adjusting down there and uh, sent me a note updating me. And I just wanted to take the liberty of extending his hello back to the saints. And, you know, he, they just moved two weeks ago, right? And you know what the bedlam is like moving. In spite of that, he tuned in and watched our communion service last week. Isn't that fun? So if you're watching today, Corey, all right. Hope things are great. And uh, I wanted to add one other comment because uh, he mentioned, can I just say wow, quotes, wow, about Mike's mini-message? And, uh, yeah, it was packed. He said it packed a lot of heat. Yeah. And, uh, and hope for the future, he felt, because uh, seeing those kind of gifts manifested and that kind of uh, commitment to the Lord among our saints is an encouragement, right? It really is. And so uh, I thought that was awesome. And. Um, he, he also thanked me for leading in that, and I thought maybe I should comment about that because some people think, well, you're the preacher, you get paid to preach. So what are you doing goofing off? No, my job is to make sure you get edified from this pulpit. Doesn't matter who. Next week, our brother Gary Ingram, remember Gary Ingram? Uh, he'll be sharing, and I know we'll be edified, and so that is my job. And, um, and, of course, I like to preach, too. So this morning I'm earning my paycheck. Next week I'm just going to ride on the coattails, all right? That's just a little humor. For those of you who are visiting, I do have a sick sense of humor. And I also want to be sure that my ADD doesn't take over. So we're going to turn our attention to the Word. Okay, so I think I've made all the announcements I need to make. Do you want me to explain that or not? Later. Another time. All right, so I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer as we try to open our hearts to some of what we've been worshiping about, actually, that is revealed in the text before us today. I think we could linger in a mode like we've had this morning in worship for about two hours, Lord, and it would be very healthy for us not only rejoicing in what you've done, not only thanking you that you have loved us, how marvelous 
is my Savior's love for me and for us. It is marvelous. In fact, it's astounding because we know what we're really like in those rational moments that we're honest. We know we don't deserve your mercy and your grace. And then we sing about your holiness and the, the eye of sinful man cannot even see your glory. In fact, man cannot look upon you in the purest sense and stay alive in a physical body. can't happen. So, Lord, we thank you for that. And so today, we give you the glory that is due you. And I'm asking for help, Holy Spirit, because why? I, I don't understand why I think anyone who's ever stood in the pulpit, if he's rational, if he's thinking rightly, why do you send people saturated with difficulties and unbelief to declare your glory? Can't be done by myself. Not really. And so, God, I'm praying that you would help me today and help my brothers and sisters to be built up in their most holy faith. And for those who are listening in and wondering who you are and what about you, that they might see a glimpse of the true God who's not politically correct, who's not somebody that's always fun. He's the Lion of Judah, Aslan, who we have tried to make a nice little purring kitty cat. Is he safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. Your Holy Spirit has to reveal to us who you really are and who we really are. We need your help. So Holy Spirit, help us today. Quicken your giftings. Help your servant. As I prayed earlier with my brethren before we worshiped, and I know you helped them today. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. We ask this in your great name, and all God's people said, amen. amen and amen. So as you know, don't, that didn't matter. You have those in television land, little confetti things fly around. My wife and I, one of our small pleasures in life is to put on the coffee, go out on the front porch, if it makes it to the front porch, and pick up the paper. Doesn't always make it to the front porch, but when it does, I get it bring it in, and uh, we read that, and then we have our time together in the Word and things like that. But I was reading the paper, as I am wont to do, and I came across this article. I thought this was fascinating. Under health, June 15th, 2021, awe makes us happier, healthier, and humbler. What a radical idea. Let me say it again. Awe makes us happier, healthier, and humbler. We think of awe as an emotion provoked by something extraordinary, and that would be right. We feel awe when we encounter something with qualities so extraordinary it seems incomprehensible. We don't need the Taj Mahal necessarily, but we can experience awe Researchers say awe has a range of emotional, social, physiological health benefits. Awe is shown to make us happier, contribute to the greater life satisfaction, and makes us care more about other people, increase our humility. What an idea. 
When we're at the Grand Canyon, it's impressive enough that it grabs our attention regardless of what else we're doing. But in our day-to-day lives, when so much of our attention is taken up by mobile devices, <laughs> how most people are going through life anymore, it's possible, you know, it's harder for us to notice these little inspiring things. That it provoked my thoughts to my own, my own experiences. You're probably thinking of a few yourself. Uh, things that provoke awe. And they mentioned the Grand Canyon, and that was one of the things. I've said it once, I think, in the eight years that I've been here, but I'll just refresh our memory. I've been to the Grand Canyon numbers of times, actually camped down in the bottom with a fellow pastor and all of that, down at the bottom, all the way up again. Wonderful experience, amazing, you know, out in northern Arizona. Down at the bottom, it's 100 degrees. Up at the top, it was snowing when I came out. Amazing. But one time when I stopped to visit, I'd been there before. I walked up and as I got to the crest and looked over, I was <gasps> literally, you heard the expression, you were breathless. It literally happened to me. Just, it just overtook me. Extraordinary, incredible, awe-inspiring. Sometimes it can create a sense of uh, positive uh, one time I experienced kind of a dangerous side. Uh, anybody ever been to Niagara Falls? I'm sure you have. And uh, my wife and I actually got married, and that's where we went on our honeymoon. That was a long time ago, friends. You, all that conversation about old songs. You guys are ridiculous. That's not old. Twilight, Twilla Paris, or what, what's her name? I know. I know it's Twilight. I love that one. But that's, that's, that was already older, uh, newer stuff for us. But anyway, my point is I go up to Niagara Falls on, Falls on a revisit, going back just to look. And one time I looked out and the sense of awe actually was drawing me in. I had this feeling like I wanted to just step off the ledge. That's dangerous, friends. You don't do that. Well, anyway, the whole article, not one mention of the divine, because it's all about us. Not one mention of the divine. I was dumbfounded that a research article would miss something so obvious. And sometimes the awe that we experience with God can be <gasps> like step back, and sometimes it draws me to step off the cliff, right? Well, I want to uh, share with you today a story. And let me, uh, let me quote specifically from the 1989 Webster's Encyclopedia. Uh, yeah. Can I start that over? Thank you for permission. The 1989 Webster's Encyclopedic Unabridged Dictionary. This fat... I have it on my shelf, I'll never get rid of it because so many words are being changed and corrupted and we're losing sight of what was communicated clearly. Here's the definition of awe, an overwhelming feeling of, get this, reverence, admiration, fear, etc., produced by that which is grand, sublime, extremely powerful, or the like, as in awe of God, awe of authority, whatever. Oh, I shouldn't have thrown that away yet. 
I made a mistake. Because it says, we don't need the Taj Mahal to stimulate that feeling. An incredible piece of art, which I agree, or even a breathtaking YouTube video can also do the trick. You have to pardon me. That, that felt incredibly insipid when talking about awe. Anyway, now it belongs on the floor. <laughs> Praise the Lord, right? A powerful, amazing God. We're going to talk about an encounter in the book of Acts today because that's the series we're in. Some of you may have cheated and looked at the reference and you know what we're talking about. And I thought I would title the sermon... Wowzers. Anybody remember that? My, my younger colleagues, not to mention any names, Ryan, immediately knew where that came from. Let's show the picture. Anybody remember Inspector Gadget? My kids used to watch this. Da, 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 da. Inspector Gadget. Da, da. Guys need to get out more, I'll tell you. And uh, yeah, he would be surprised by something. He'd go, Wowzers. Well, the story today is something that you couldn't miss. Even if they had cell phones in the first century, which they didn't, you would have known. In fact, somebody would have caught this on their cell phone camera. This was something you couldn't miss. And so what I'd like to do today is do the, since we talked about the newspaper, the reporter's style. So that's why I wrote it down. If you have notes, your notes in the bulletin. What happened? When did it happen? Who did it happen to? Why did it happen? And how did it happen? So we'll just walk through that very quickly and see if maybe the Holy Spirit might edify us a bit. What I'd like us to do, if you have a Bible, you can follow along. Otherwise, just listen to me reading it out of what was our seat pew Bibles from the church. The new, inner, uh, new American Standard Version is what we have, so if it reads a little different, you'll know why. The fate of Ananias and Sapphira, if you have the Bible handy, it's 1092 is the page, but it's chapter 5 of the book of Acts. And so what I want to do today is start with the story. I'm going to read the story, and I'm going to read it straight out of the Scripture. And if you will bear with me, I'd like to embellish it a little. As we go along, make my comments, right? Not my whole sermon yet. My sermon's at least two hours long. I'm kidding. Don't get too excited there, brother. Are we ready? Chapter 5 of the book of Acts. First, before I start reading the very first verse, we have to put it in its context. Look at the verses ahead of it. Two verses before, verse 36 of chapter 4. Now, Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who is also called Barnabas, does that name ring a bell? By the apostles, translated means the son of encouragement. He was the son of encouragement, the one that went with Paul, the one that was sticking up for John Mark later and all of that. He's an encourager. He's got the gift of exhortation. We're going to talk about gifts before I'm done here. Not today. Before I'm done, done. Which translated means son of encouraged. He owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Remember, the church is growing like gangbusters. There's many people, some without means. There are widows who are living in that family, both Jewish and Hellenistic widows. They need, um, they need a food pantry. And that's what's going on. And so people are giving generously so that the church can stay together and keep moving along with what we're going to see in a minute was happening 
at this amazing time in the history of the church. And so he comes, he sells a piece. Hey, you know, I'm, I, I see there's some need here. He's the son of encouragement. He owns a piece of land. He sells it. Everything passed all the taxes and whatever the government ripped him off from. He gives to the church. He lays it at the apostles' feet. That's a picture. They're in church. Are you getting it? You know, there's some kind of a context here, maybe on the steps of the temple where they're all meeting. So the apostles are preaching like this, and those who are responding during the church, church is going on. Are you with me? And people come forward, and they lay the gifts at the apostles' feet. It's a picture of giving it to God, hands off, total free. There it is. So that's, now we can start reading the story. That's the context. But a man named, notice but, whenever there's a but, hold on to your butts. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. So what's going on here? A bit of a publicity stunt. Hey, let's do this. We're going to sell that. You know, look 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 what's happening at church, you know. We want to make sure we look like one of the good guys, you know. I want to come in on a Sunday with this envelope full of cash and throw it at the apostles' feet and look like one of those, I'm all in dudes. I'm in with this. I'm down with that. He laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, you know, who knows what he's hoping for? You know, maybe, oh, maybe they'll ask you to be an elder, you know, something like that. I don't know. I don't know. Weren't there. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? I don't think anybody ratted. People want to unbelievingly redact the scripture. Oh, somebody came and watched them. Some sneaky, nosy, busybody in the church was following them around when they sold the land, ran into the pastor and said, That's not what happened. The Holy Spirit and gifts like this, the word of knowledge, comes to Peter. All he knows is that they're pulling a publicity stunt. That's all he knows. So he says, I don't have a choice. The Holy Spirit's prompting me. I got to ask Ananias. Now, I got to be honest. If I knew that was happening, unless the Spirit prompted me and said, say it publicly, I'd be a little held back. How about you? Yeah, baby. While it remained unsold, did it not remain in your, your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? His whole point is you can do whatever you want with it. Just don't bull everybody. Why is it that you've conceived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. Oh, boy. Peter's gift uncovers this thing. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear, I'll bet, came over all who heard of it. Not just the ones in the room. I'm sure they were wide awake for the rest of that church service. (laughs) Wide awake. But everyone who heard about it. The young men got up and covered him up. And after carrying him out, they buried him, which is appropriate Jewish custom. Same day, wrap him up in his clothes. They build a little stretcher and they carry him out. 
Now, there elapsed an interval of about three hours. I think Sapphire was down at the Jerusalem Mall, you know, sent him ahead, thought, I'm going to come in later so I can hear all the kudos and applause my husband earned for both of us. Who knows how it went down? But she's in this game. Three hours later go by, and his wife came in, and knowing what it ha- not knowing what had happened, Peter responded to her. Notice what it says. He answers. In other words, he's like waiting. I love this passage. Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. Can you hear, Peter? Please come clean. One commentator said it was more a question of grief than it was of accusation. Did you sell it for, oh yeah, that's what we sold it for, you brazen liar. That's what we sold it for. Peter said to her, why is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door. They will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in, found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Yeah, wowzers. Um, some people have said, well, oh, you know, I'm going to save that for later on the how. What was the response? Verse 11. Anybody have their Bible? Great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. Immediately, the church was on the, uh, you know, paranormal researchers map. We got to check this out, man. There's weird, spooky things going on over at that Jerusalem First Baptist. (laughs) Got to check it out. Do you remember when uh, Corey McGrail preached on Herod? And uh, I fell for him because he was being like, I'm sorry, this is such a like a heavy is like, this is what we're dealing with, friends, whether we realize it or not. You want to know a false God? Go ahead. He won't get you into heaven. There's no hope in eternity. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want the true God or not? Well, you get the whole package. This is who he is. So what happened? We just found out what happened. And when uh, when Corey talked about Herod dishonoring God and how he was struck, you know, there was a there's a side of that. Uh, I think the way uh, Monty Python would say thine enemy shall snuff it. And that's what happened to Herod. And it happened to some people. We'll unpack who they were in just a minute. When did this happen? Because it matters, you know? Context matters. What's going on makes a difference with how you should behave, correct? We just had our grandkids. I have, I have two, uh, I have three grandkids. I, I didn't lost, lose count. I didn't lose count, but I have three. But two are from one mom, our daughter. And uh, Aiden, the younger, eight years old, uh, he's one of those, you know, very active. He's all boy, if you know what I mean. I know that's, I don't know if that's okay today, but it is in my quarters. He's all boy. He's one of those kids that's running around and then all of a sudden, oh, no, it's broken. That was his famous line, you know. Oh, no, it's broken. Of course it is. You got your hands on it, you know. 
How does this put my son? Well, never mind. Say the ADD wants to go down that trail. You know. How does this put together? How do you put it back together? That's the question. Anyway, we went up to this uh, family-connected funeral. It was actually his aunt who had passed away, much to our surprise and shock. And, um, and they had to sit right up in the front during a Catholic mass service. Well, you can't be running around screaming, oh, no, it's broken. There's an appropriate behavior in that context. Out in the backyard, that's different. Same thing when we're in assembly with God in the midst. What was going on? The context was a time of critical formation. Follow along with me. If you, if you have your Bible, you don't have to read it. Just listen. Actually, I'm going to put them on the screen now that I think about it. I got this verse on the screen from Acts 5, 12 through 14. And at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. So you can't say, well, obviously church was really rolling back then. My church is pretty boring, so I can do whatever I want. But how does it work? Is it, which way is it working? Who's causing what? The apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. They were holding church services there. None of them dared, none of the rest dared to associate with them. No kidding. It was in the news. However, the people held them in high esteem. People respected what was going on. These people are changed. They love each other. They share unselfishly. They're preaching about this Jesus. They're willing to be put to death for it. They're held in high esteem. And, you know, there are groups like that. There are people that are held in high esteem, even if we don't understand everything about them. I, I've always mentioned how the Amish, who have been under attack on an occasion when they made the news, what blew everybody's mind in the media was their unconditional forgiveness, because that's what Jesus tells them to do. People are like, what? I don't want to ride around in a buggy and do without electricity, but I sure hold them in esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. God's house, his Holy Spirit was building the kingdom work. This was a foundational time for the church. It's critical that the bar is held high. This is exactly, in commentators that I've read, they all point back to the same story. It was very interesting to me. You may remember when the children of Israel were finally going to fulfill their purpose. They go across the Jordan. They conquer first, what, what city? Jericho. The walls come tumbling down. You know the story. Miraculously, they didn't have to hardly do anything. The next town, they get in trouble. And here's what the Bible says out of the book of Joshua. The sons of Israel. Who? Who? Wait, who? What did it say? The sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban for Achan. One bad apple spoils the son of Carme, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah took some of the things under the ban. They, he disobeyed. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Oops. 
They as a community sinned against God. Why? Because this one person. Are you connecting the dots? Well, you know what happened in that story. Miraculously? No, hyper-providentially. All the lots whittled down the guilty party. Tribe of Judah down, Zerah, Zabdi, finally Achan. And Joshua comes to him, and what does he do? He does exactly what Peter just did to Sapphira. Come clean. Joshua says, give God glory and tell me what you did. Okay, I saw this stuff. It was really cool. I mean, it was a top-of-the-line iPhone. I couldn't pass it up. And I hid it in my tent. I coveted it. He got cleaned up before he had to see Jesus. And we know he was done. There's a parallel. This formative time, the bar had to be held high. And here's the best part. Here's what, what we miss. God's spirit is moving among the congregation. You have the gall to lie and put on a publicity stunt? Well, wasn't that kind of harsh? Well, I don't know. I'm not God. Seemed like a good idea to him, apparently. So who was it? What happened? I know some people want to say, well, they obviously weren't real believers. Really? Are you telling me that no Christian who's ever been part of the church of Jesus Christ would ever lie about anything? Give me a break. You really believe that? You don't understand the gospel, right? The gospel of grace. The grace of God forgives us past... I said it last week and it registered with... Oh, no, it was two... Whenever it was. Past, present, and future. It was last week. Past, present, and future. I'm released. I'm forgiven. I'm accepted in the beloved. So, yeah, I'm going to tell you, I think that they were believers. And besides, imagine this. Why would the church be so... Fearful. Do you know I keep using the word fear because I feel like this, this is a sidebar, an editorial comment, may I? I feel like with American Christians, I'm constantly pulling teeth to try to get them to understand that when the Bible says fear God, it means fear God! <sighs> I'm getting to something, so I'll control myself a little. Why was the church afraid if it was obvious to them, oh, those pagans slipped in here and tried to make believe they were Christians and God took care of them? Yeah! How fun is that? How easy would our new member selection process be at Harmony? When did you accept Jesus? Oh, I accepted him. He's everything in my... Ah! <laughs> Okay, I guess they're not joining the church. Next. Jody, send the next one in. Wouldn't that be easy? Here's what God says about us, whether we like this or not. Do you not know that you are a temple of God? Now, by the way, don't confuse it. In another portion, just three chapters away from this one in 1 Corinthians... God says through Paul that your body is also a temple of the Spirit because you're indwelled, okay? It's a different idea, though. This is talking about 
You are a temple of God. The Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man destroys the temple of God, if anyone ruins, trashes, whatever, the temple, that's what Ananias and Sapphira were doing. They were trashing the work of the Holy Spirit by trying to play a game and pull a con job. We'll get to why in a minute. If any man destroys, ruins, trashes the temple of God, God will trash him. For the temple of God is holy. And that's what you are. Tell me the truth, brothers and sisters. Do we really think of that when we come to church? I don't enough. I don't. Respect for God and his church. I remember being in Senegal, a Muslim country. My fellow missionary team were saying to me, uh, be really careful when you, that's a mosque right there. If you were to lean against the mosque, spit on the mosque or at their property, you'd be dead. That's how much reverence for their religious structure that they have. Do I have respect for God and for his church, which we are? Let me just read something from the great uh, expositor F.F. F. Bruce. Two things that he says. What this narrative does emphasize is the reality of the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence in the church and the solemn practical implications of that fact. Who am I dealing with? When I treat my brother and sister with contempt, who am I treating with contempt? The incident shows us, too, that even in the earliest days of the church, it was not a society of perfect people. Hello? Everybody struggles, everybody's got weaknesses, but at least true Christians who are genuine and transparent don't fake it. I'm struggling with this. He has put on record here one of those uh, accounts which not only illustrate the honest realism of the Bible, but serve as a warning to its readers. It's a warning for us. It's an encouragement for us to keep our heads straight about who we're dealing with. I've mentioned before, and I'm going to mention the Most Holy Reverend Mother. That's just a lighthearted joke. By, by the way, if you people think God doesn't have a sense of humor, just look around the room. <laughs> you know he does. He does. I, I, I've said it before. Christianity is fun. Some of you just need to get in that zone somewhere along the line. Um, my wife, Sherry, has been a model to me. Because she had said, and she has said it before, and I've mentioned it before, we have five children, and her attitude was, I fear God too much to do something stupid because I fear any consequences coming down on my children. I go, I'm with that. Totally. Show you one more verse out of First Peter, right along this line. For it is time for judgment to begin where? With the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Think about that. He is the living God. And the outcome for Ananias and Sapphira, to quote the great uh, uh, Lutheran clergyman and scholar Richard Lenski, quote, the first two and most awful hypocrites in the Christian church were buried side by side. How encouraging. Why did this happen? I haven't really started preaching yet. This is the juicy part. 
Peter asks her, this is what it said in Acts 5, verse 8, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Oh, yes. I use the NIV because I like the way it was asked. That's the price. Yep, that, that's it. That's what happened. And she knows it's not true. They kept half of it because they were going to buy another condo in the Bahamas. You know they were. Didn't want anybody to know. Didn't want anybody to think that they were being a little bit carnal there. You know, keep the image up. Yeah. So his question is, why are you testing God? Why are you testing? In the Old Testament, it was, why are you tempting the Lord, right? Why do you tempt God? Why are you testing the patience of the Lord? Numbers 14 and Psalm 95 both talk about God speaking about the children of Israel in the desert, putting him to the test, right? Driving him crazy with their little whining and sniveling and rebellions. and oh, For 40 years, I've put up with this. I don't know if he said it like that. That, uh, that would be presumptuous for me to say God said it like that, but I wonder. Isn't it going to be fun when we get to heaven and get all the answers of this stuff? You know, yeah. yeah, actually, John, you had that right. I did say, oh, man, 40 years I put up with this. <laughs> Putting him to the test. And here you are, just like those rebels in the wilderness who either had to be swallowed up by an earthquake or bitten by snakes and swelling up and dying. Here you are in the church of grace, lying to the Holy Spirit. You're going home right now. Boop. By the way... If you missed it, Acts 5, verse 4, the second half of the verse. Oh, why is it you've conceived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to... Theology 101 here, brothers and sisters. We sang about it this morning. Holy, holy, holy. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. It's been the position of the church the entire 2,000 years. Apostates fall away or cults deny, but the Bible reveals a mystery we can't fully figure out, but that's who he is. Amen. You have not lied to men, but to God. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. You don't lie to a brick or a board. I've been dealing with boards this last week, doing some building, and they don't respond. You don't lie to them. They don't care. But a person does. And the Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune Godhead. Theology 101, sidebar, Trinitarianism. Now let's move on. What was their big sin? Image management. So many Christians are wrapped up with their foolish image management. We are 100%, well, a lot, Preoccupied with what everybody else thinks rather than what God thinks. That hit me like a brick when I was a young Christian. I'll, I'll tell you in just a minute. But that's what they were wrapped up in, putting on an air. Because people read this, doesn't, isn't that unfair? Let me unpack it for you a little bit from the minds of um, those who have studied the scripture a lot more than we have probably including me, Bruce one more time, F.F. Bruce, and then Ananias in the, effort, in the effort to gain a reputation for greater generosity than he actually deserved, tried to deceive the believing community. 
So if I'm trying to deceive the believing community, the followers of Jesus, who else am I trying to deceive? You got the right answer. He was really trying to deceive the Holy Spirit, whose life-giving power had created the community and maintained it in its being. And then, uh, Lenski, one more comment. It is dreadful enough, think about this, it's dreadful enough to sin. Actually, we don't dread sinning, do we? But anyway, it's dreadful enough I, you know, yeah, to admit that we followed the evil one. But what shall we say of him who sins and then not only pretends that the Holy Spirit prompted his sin, but also that it's a divine work and that he should give this gift to God? I mean, think about that, right? You know, you got this little wicked thing in your heart and you pull this thing off and then you present it as, oh, no, God's in this. I was led by the Spirit to give this generous gift. So you're just compounding. You know, sins get compounded is what happens. It's like Saul in the Old Testament. I did obey the voice of the Lord. I, I went out and slew Amalek. I did obey. Well, then what's all that sheep I hear bleeding? How come I hear all this racket? You didn't do what I... Oh, but I did... Oh, but the people pressured me. Shut up. It's too late. You didn't obey. I read in the papers, I, w I was uh, observing... Oh, there was an article in a few weeks, last few weeks. Some... One of the top richest people worth... I'm, I'm talking like 61 billions of dollars and like we're giving this much or celebrity donations, you know, celebrity worth $36 million. Oh, I'm going to give $200,000 to this needy cause. Big whoop. That's how I feel about it. What about the reality? You know, the widow's little mite will earn more reward and glory because it's proportional. So sometimes we have exactly what you see in the scripture happening, you know. Oh, look at that. And yet, when God assesses and weighs the heart, it won't be quite that way. When I was up at Union Center, um, we had people, because the, we were known, we were, the, we were the troublemakers in the community. We were known as not being extreme that way or that way. We're preaching the gospel. We also believed in the work of the spirit, but we weren't nutty and, you know, all of these kind of things. And so people from these hardcore legalistic churches would come to our church. And because they were in our church, now they were in. Are you following what I'm saying? We're in. Oh, we're not like that anymore. We're not legalistic anymore. As if somehow by osmosis just showing up, you got purified of your legalistic craziness. And they were hyper-legalistic. They just let themselves go on a couple of little areas. Oh, see, now we're free. We can go to the movies. I can have a beer. Wow, we're free. No, you're not. You're still totally consumed with image management. You're in bondage. Am I making sense to anybody? Or is it just me? Because I understand me. I'm kind of wacky, so I do get myself. What people think. Who cares what people think? What matters is what God knows. That's what Ananias and Sapphira stepped on the, the gangplank to go off the ship and drown because they were preoccupied with what everybody else was going to think. How dumb. 
I was a brand new Christian. I came home with my brother who was discipling me, a godly, wonderful uh, brother who had studied out in the Midwest, out in um, Colorado, in a Bible college and everything. And he had taken me under his wing at my church, First Baptist of Flushing, down here in New York, and uh, was coaching me. And he was the first one to ask me, what's, the, what's your reason for being here? What's the chief end of man? I'm, I'm like, I'm a brand new Christian. I'm like, do the right thing, uh, follow Jesus, something. You can always say Jesus. That's the answer, right? And uh, he goes, and he kind of chuckles, and he goes, chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Everybody remember that? I'm got, okay, I got that one now. Came to my house, we're visiting, he's coaching me, and he leaves. And as he leaves, my grandmother comes to the door where I'm saying goodbye to him and goes, Johnny, what do you think you're doing? I'm like, what? What are you doing letting him come here? What are the neighbors going to think? Anybody want to guess why she had that reaction? You guessed it, because he was black. And even though I was a baby Christian, I'll never forget, I looked her right in the face and said, you're a racist. Well, they didn't use that word then. You're a bigot. This is not from God. I don't care if you go to the same church I do. That is from hell. That is not from God. And off I went, happy as a clam. She wasn't happy, but I was. <laughs> she knows better now. All right. Here's the problem. Uh, um, are we dealing with God? Are we dealing with the Almighty? Because if we are, then what he thinks is more important than what anybody else thinks. If you haven't gotten that straightened out, you better get on it including all your friends who are telling you it's stupid to believe in Jesus or whatever. You better get on it, because there's only one way. Let me show you this last verse from this section, and then I'll be done in a minute. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Remember when we went through Hebrews? There is no creature hidden from his sight. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. One day the cover is going to be pulled down, and there it is, stark raving reality. When I've taught on angels and I comment the fact that they see everything we're doing, I've had people say, I'm never getting undressed again. I, you know, it's like as if they don't know any way. What? Why? Are you kidding me? And you're reacting to angelic things? What about God? There is nothing hidden from his sight, including what was in the heart of Ananias and Sapphira. Now, Peter rebukes Ananias and did not, I don't think he expected to have him drop dead. And all of a sudden he did. And I mean, what is Peter going to do? I'm the pastor of the church. This happens in front of me. You know, here's Lenny. They're right there on the floor. Lenny, oh my God. Okay, guys, let's get him out of here. I don't know what else to do. We're going to keep preaching. No, I'm sure that they blessed and all of that appropriate stuff. But, and then it happens again. The second time, I believe Peter knew what the potential consequence was, and that's why he's saying, please come clean. Did you sell it for the... Just come clean. Come admit it. Admit it. If she had only said, oh, give God glory, 
tell me what you did. Yeah, we, we connived. We plan to look good and we're fibbing. Okay. Lord, would you forgive her? Yeah, okay. Off we go. How did this happen? No question it was miraculous. Just like Herod was struck and people were shocked, so we are in this context. And some people say, well, because they had planned this sneaky thing when, when Peter confronted... Um, what was the first guy's name? Ananias. He had a little, you know, he needed a stent. So all of a sudden, he just has a heart attack because he was freaked out. Yeah, but two in a row within three hours? Come on. Takes more faith to believe that than that God said, enough! Enough. I know I'm preaching a little loud here. I get all riled up. Here's what it says in verse 5 of this chapter. And great fear, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. And verse 5 said the same thing. Great fear. You know what the words are? Mega, mega phobos. Yeah, phobia, fear. Mega, mega, like a megazilla. Mega fear, mighty, severe, intense fear. Fear, alarm. Fright, dread, terror, like we talk about the terrible God. It doesn't mean he's terrible rotten. He's terrible terrifying. Can be. So the right response is simply this. Awe. Oh, the only appropriate response to what was going on that day was awe. Oh, the awesome God. Who can dare approach him? Thanks be to God, our Lord Jesus Christ has made a way. And... By the way, it doesn't always have to be that scary, nasty, like people getting struck dead, although that would certainly get your attention on a Sunday morning. And I've heard of such things, by the way. Some people picked on Peter. You know, they think, why did Peter strike him dead? Peter didn't do anything. Well, he, he's just, you know, don't shoot the messenger. That's all he's doing is telling what, what, what he heard from God. It reminded me of Dick Sipley, who was a... Uh, not a consultant, a uh, mentor to the Canadian Revival Fellowship years ago, godly brother from the Alliance uh, background, Alliance Church, really a godly man, always speaks in ways that just cuts me, you know, slices you open spiritually. And he was ministering in some church. He's from Canada. I think it might have happened up there. And in the middle of one of his sermons, a demon-possessed woman disrupted the entire service. You know, and all of that. And they had to take her out and they worked on her later. And, you know, I think God broke through. I don't know the whole story. All I know is he got a phone call later. People yelling, some lady yelling at him. Why did you do that in church today? Why did you do that in church today? So just tuck that away. When it happens here, don't call me up saying, why did you make that happen? I didn't make it happen. So God shows up. He allows the supernatural. Can you imagine God allowing the supernatural to spill over into a church service? And then you're yelling? You know, like, what do you think you're doing? Sorry, you better call the boss. Not me. And for those of you who are feeling bad for Ananias and Sapphira, can I just say they're in a better place now? I believe they are. 
In fact, maybe I was inspired by Alistair Begg's little story last week of the man on the middle cross, remember? I love that. I imagine when they got to heaven, Ananias and Sapphira are waiting in line, and she's saying, I told you it was a bad idea. <laughs> right? Husbands, nine times out of ten, she's right. You better listen. Told you it was a bad idea. But sometimes awe can come from the positive direction as well, and more times than not, I think. I love this story. 1540, Martin Luther. You all know who he is, right? So he's leading the Reformation. I think that was a work of God. Just wanted to say that. His good friend and assistant, Frederick Myconius, became sick and was not expected to live. He wrote a goodbye note to Luther. Luther's reply was, I command thee in the name of God to live because I still have need of thee in the work of reforming the church. Take that. The Lord will never let me hear that thou art dead, but will permit thee to survive me. For this I am praying, and this is my will, and may my will be done, because I seek only to glorify the name of God. God honored Luther's prayer. Myconius soon recovered, lived six more years, dying two months after Luther's death. Is our God an awesome God? Yes, sir. Oh, why doesn't he do more of that? Because we don't pay any attention to him. I don't pray like I should. Am I right or wrong? I've had times when I've struggled through till I knew we get soft. Too much newspaper reading and coffee. But may it be so again on us, right? So here's an appropriate verse for us to close. Another one from Hebrews. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Don't forget who you're dealing with, which we do too much. For our God is a consuming fire. If you've never been born again and gotten his grace so that you're not in the bad place, listen, Ananias and Sapphira were God's children. He disciplined them. He took them home. When they got home, they went, you know, I thought that place we were going to buy in uh, Bermuda was great, but this is, these digs are better. I think this is okay. It wasn't a bummer for them. It was an awareness for the church. Big time. If you've never done it, get saved. Receive Jesus. And if you are playing games, stop faking it and get real. Because that's what God's looking for. That's where his spirit can freely work. And when our brother Gary comes, he always speaks of that. Places where we're real about our struggles. That's where the spirit moves in to fill the vacuum. Oh, no, no, I got to keep my image. Okay, you can join my grandma later. Let's pray. I bless the great and awesome God who has made a way through our master Jesus by paying for our wicked, corrupt sins. Whether we think we have them or not, whether our mommies and daddies told us how wonderful we are, we're just so adorable. We are broken sinners and our hearts are evil when we really wake up. Thank you for saving us. Thank you through Jesus 
there has been a way to approach the awe-inspiring, inapproachable, though the eye of sinful man his glory cannot see, because we've been made and imputed with the righteousness of Christ. We will see his glory, and we praise you and thank you for that. Help your people and help those who are not yet your people to become your people. We ask all of this today in the great name of Jesus, our Savior, and all of God's people said, Amen, amen and amen. God bless you.